Hey TechLead here and welcome to another episode of the TechLead. Now today we're going to be talking about the top 10 algorithms to know for your coding interview. Now as a special guest on the show we have Clement Mihalescu. He is a software engineer at Google and he runs AlgoExpert.io. It's a website that helps students prepare for coding interviews. Alright and so in this video we're going to be discussing the top 10 algorithms or algorithmic concepts to know if you want to ace your technical interview. So a lot of students are preparing for the algorithms portion of their coding interview and that's one thing that trips up a lot of people because there's just so many different questions and question types that you can be preparing for but it turns out that there's not that many. Right because I think the key distinction is that it's not really about memorizing questions because you could have like 200, 300, 500 different interview questions. It's about understanding the fundamental techniques or algorithms that sort of are common to most questions, nailing those down, and then, you know, you can tackle any question. Right. And then many other questions are just variations on these common basic types of questions. So we're going to be covering for you the top 10 that you need to know. And that's pretty much going to get you set up on these. So let's go to the first algorithm that you've got to know. All right. So the first one is probably my favorite. And it's a very simple one. It's depth first search. Depth first search is probably like the fundamental graph traversal or tree traversal algorithm that is used in so many different questions, including questions that seem like they're unrelated to graphs, but can actually be turned into graph problems. So it's really important to understand how depth first search works. So you're talking about like a tree structure, right? And then you have to traverse through that tree, get into the leave nodes, and then backtrack up and go into the other. Exactly. But the thing is, sometimes that tree structure happens to be like a string or like a bunch of strings and you have to traverse them, maybe their characters in a sort of depth first search way. So you have to, you have to transform something that doesn't necessarily look like a tree into a tree and then apply depth first search. Yeah. So one example may be like view hierarchies, for example, yeah. or if you were constructing like a binary search tree to look through a bunch of letters, maybe sorted letters or sorted numbers, that's kind of a tree structure as well that you can traverse through. Or maybe if you're traveling from city to city, right? The connections between cities, while they don't necessarily, you know, scream a graph at first, they can be transformed into a graph or into a tree structure and then traversed in a sort of depth first search way where you sort of start at a starting point, go all the way to the very end and go back up, go back to another sort of like route, go back down. Yeah. Have you ever been to a, like a coding interview loop where they didn't ask you like a depth first search question? The majority of interview days that have multiple interviews, let's say five interviews, the majority of them will have at least one question that lends itself to depth first search. And if not depth first search, maybe the second algorithm that we can talk about today, which is breadth first search. So for example, one common question is to take a tree and print it level by level. But what's the fundamental difference between breadth first search and depth first search? So the main difference between breadth first search and depth first search is in the order in which you traverse child nodes. So imagine you've got one node and then that node has a bunch of child nodes. In a depth first search approach, you would add all of the nodes to a, like a stack and then you would take the last child that you added off the top and visit all of its children and add them all on top of the stack, then grab again the one at the top of the stack and so on and so forth. With breadth first search, you would do the opposite. You would use a queue where you say, 
add like the five child nodes and then grab the first one that you added and add all of its children to the very end of that queue, add that second child that you added and so on and so forth. And like, that's really it. That's the fundamental difference, right? The difference between a, a stack where you grab the last element you added and a queue where you grab the first element you added. All right, so let's jump to the third one. And this is a very specific question that I get asked in almost every interview cycle that I go through. Yeah, so this one is the, the matching bracket problem. It's really cool. The, the long story short is if you're given a bunch of brackets, maybe like parentheses, square brackets, squiggly brackets, you want to find either whether that string of brackets is like valid, it's like uh, correctly closed, or maybe you want to find like what is the next valid bracket that you have to add. And that's a really like common algorithm question or, or variation of that, right? And how would you solve this type of question? So here we get back to stacks. Typically the best way to solve this question uh, or the least convoluted way is using a stack where you kind of add the, the last parentheses or the last opening bracket, whether it's parentheses, square or squiggly to the stack. And then you sort of match whenever you find a closing bracket. Uh, there are other ways to solve it that are much more complicated, like using recursion or things like that. But typically a data structure like a stack works best here. Yeah. And then you also have to just check the ending scenario where if your stack is not empty, right? If there's right. stuff on there, then you know that some parenthesis or bracket was not matched properly. Yeah. Okay, algo expert. What is algorithm number four that we've all got to know? So for algorithm number four, we're going to cover a really like fundamental technique to algorithms, which is making use of hash tables. Let's say I give you um, a matrix, right? So like a two-dimensional array. And I tell you that I want you to visit this matrix. Maybe you're going to traverse it in a depth first search way, but you're going to have to somehow keep track of what you've already visited in that matrix, right? Maybe I want you to keep track of like, you know, what is the longest like amount of zeros that are next to each other in the matrix? What what data structure would you use? Well, yeah, so you can use a hash table to make sure you don't revisit grid coordinates. Exactly, and the hash table then can be used in so many different situations, right? You can use a hash table if you wanna, let's say, uh, keep track of numbers in an array so that you can find, you know, two numbers that sum up to something. Uh, you can use a hash table when you're trying to just like cache values, right? The, the canonical example there is, let's say you're doing, you know, the nth Fibonacci number uh, in the Fibonacci sequence, to optimize that algorithm, you keep track or you keep store of values that you've already computed and a hash table lends itself really well to that. Right, so this has to do with dynamic programming, right? Memoization, essentially. Right, we get into that memoization or caching technique that's often used in dynamic programming. So Fibonacci of 10 is equal to Fibonacci of nine plus Fibonacci of eight. Exactly. And if you had computed that, and cache that value, then you wouldn't have to recompute that. Exactly. And so again, here, the important distinction is that like, you're using a hash table as the fundamental data structure here, and that sort of helps support or you know, create caching or memoization. But in some instances, hash tables aren't necessarily what you need. Maybe you're, you can use like an array and the sort of indices that you're using to access values are the indices in the array, right? All right, so moving on, what is our fifth top technique that you have to know? So the fifth top technique that you have to know is 
how to manipulate multiple like variable pointers at once. Well, that doesn't sound like an algorithm. It doesn't sound like an algorithm, but it is so commonly needed to do that in algorithms that like it's something to, that you need to know. For instance, you know, let's say you are traversing a string and you want to traverse it at the same time, sort of in parallel from left to right and from right to left. You need to be able to know how to manipulate like multiple pointers, so two, two things that are pointing to, to different variables at once. And this can be used not just in strings, right? And sometimes you're, you're traversing a linked list with two pointers. Maybe you want one pointer to traverse it faster than the other pointer for whatever reason. You have to be able to know how to manipulate multiple pointers at once. Cool, yeah, so it's just about keeping track of a lot of the variables in your head and then making sure that you're manipulating these correctly and precisely. This is really more having to do with coding, right, than say algorithms. The algorithm maybe is a little bit simpler, there's nothing too tricky along with that. So what's an example of manipulating multiple pointers? So one of my favorite ones is uh, the problem that asks you to find the longest palindromic substring in a string. So a palindrome is a string that's written the same forward as backward, and you want to find the longest substring in a string that is a palindrome. And the way that you typically do that in a sort of optimal way is you kind of traverse the string, the full string, right? And at every letter, you start out two pointers that sort of like expand outwards, and you try to see if you're dealing with a palindrome at any given point. Right? And so here you have to be able, when you're coding it out, to sort of know how to manipulate these two pointers well, how to reset them every time that you continue iterating through the main string. Right? And of course, this is probably better uh, understood by looking at code and having an example. And we cover that on algoexpert.io slash tech lead. Slash tech lead. If you want to practice all these tips and also check out additional coding problems and make sure that you ace your next programming interview, check them out, algoexpert.io slash tech lead, get discount. All right, so where were we? Tip number six? Yep, tip number six. And this one might actually be the most important one, tech lead. It is reversing a linked list. No, we, we can't tell them how to do that one. Only I know how to reverse a linked list. No, we're going to tell them how to reverse a linked list. No, not on my channel, you don't. All right, if you want to learn how to reverse a linked list, we're going to do it on my channel. Come on over and let's check it out. Uh, do, do I have to be there? Well, yeah, because this is your place. Oh, all right, fine. <laughs>